message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. So one of the gifts that I have in being able to do uh, college ministry is to see relationships form. Uh, Much of the time, and this happens in any kind of student ministry, I think, but particularly in college, you get to see students who are uh, wanting to get married, and they really want to find that special someone. They really want to find their husband or their wife. And so they're searching and trying to find someone, and finally they'll get into this, uh, they'll meet somebody and really enjoy them and appreciate them. And maybe they'll go and have coffee together, or maybe if they're really sporty, they'll go and play tennis or pickleball together. And, and then there is this crucial moment. And it's not really called this any longer, but in, in days past, maybe five, 10 years ago, they would, there, there would be this moment where you would have a DTR. And a DTR is just a conversation where you are defining the relationship where the relationship is being defined. And typically the guy is coming to the girl and he's like, I really like you a lot. Why don't we like date? And that is a big, I mean, it's like he's jumping off a cliff saying like, what if we could be compatible, compatible together? And so it's this moment where this couple, these two people can define if they want to continue in their dating relationship or not. Uh, Sarah and I have participated in lots of pre-DTR conversations with students where we like uh, encourage the student, well, just go ahead, just ask her, see if you, see if you guys can get a, get a date. And then uh, they, they ended up dating and got married. Uh, there's one particular conversation our first year uh, of, of doing campus ministry where we, we staged this, this picture because the student wanted to show that he was, he was having a really meaningful conversation uh, with the two of us. And, and it turned out, and, and actually Margot is like a, a arm baby at that point, uh, and she's hanging off of Sarah's arm. But we really ended up having a really cool conversation about how they could move along in their relationship. And I, I want you to have that in mind as you think about what God is doing here. God is defining the relationship for his people. He is saying, you can have no other gods before me. I need to be the only one in your life. He's closing off all other possibilities. And as we talked about last week with the prologue, that's really important because having come out of Egypt and seen the other gods that were present. Uh, the, the Israelites know that there are other things that they could follow and worship. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know that there were many types of gods that the Israelite people tried to follow. Gods of fertility, gods, you know, for, for their crops, gods who, you know, would produce things if they were served in the right way, but they weren't the one true God. And what I want to say is that God defines a relationship because he loves us and he actually wants us to have something that is substantial in our life. Something that is substantial, something that will, will last until the end, something that is beautiful. And so I'm going to talk about three reasons for how God defines 
the relationship. And the first one is that it's rooted in relationship. These are, these are actually very similar to what Michael presented us last week in talking about the prologue. And so I just wanted to continue those. So there's a relationship that is rooted. Secondly, that they are given to us for our freedom. And then thirdly, because they lead us to Jesus. So the first part of this is that the, the, this first commandment is given to, to people because they are rooted in relationship. The first commandment is not given randomly to this group of people, the Israelites. They weren't, th- 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 this isn't just some, this isn't God just randomly saying, okay, I choose you right there because you've been enslaved for 420 years. No, God has chose this people to follow. And if you recall from the story of Genesis, their, their fathers knew this. Abraham was plucked out to become the father of nations. Isaac, God, God cared for him. He cared for Jacob. He cared for Joseph in the Joseph story. And then there is this long extended period of time where God's people are enslaved and they are under this awful hand of the Egyptians. And then God carries them out. He takes them out of that land. And we hear that in the prologue, right? That I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery because I love you. And because of that, I want you to see me as the only God, that you don't have any other gods before me. I love what Sally Lloyd-Jones says about, <clears throat> about, how, about who God is in the Jesus Storybook Bible, that he's this never stopping, never ending pursuer of us. And the word that uh, that, that, that it's essential idea is translated is hesed in the Bible. And that means that we have, that, that God has this steadfast love, that he just continues loving us. But again, it is rooted in something that is, is amazing, that he has always been pursuing after us. So the commandment for us to love the one true God is because he is the one who first loved us. He's the one who first loved us. And so we might ask, but how do we know? But how can we know that this is the case? If you've ever loved someone before they were aware of who you are or aware of anything, you, you kind of understand this picture. I remember June 2nd of 2010 when I became an uncle for the first time. And Sarah and I drove from St. Louis to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, about a 12-hour drive to meet our niece who had just been born. And she was like four hours old when we met her for the first time. And seeing her as this little bitty, she was actually the first baby that I had ever held, right? Holding her, looking at her little parts, and even making promises to her at that time, this, this tiny, tiny thing, knowing that, that we were connected that I was gonna be her godfather, that I was someone that was gonna protect her and love her and care for her. And she doesn't have any recollection of that at all. She was a little baby. But I'll never forget that that's whenever I really understood and, and got a glimpse of what that word said is. That steadfast love. When I looked at that little baby, when I looked at my little niece, and if you're a parent or if you have if, if you have been there for little children and you know, you, you know that feeling, even if you're a good neighbor or if, or if you're a sweet church member who cares for the littlest ones 
uh, in our community. You understand this. Our love is just something that happens, but we also are incomplete with it. We can't perfectly love our children. I can't perfectly love my niece from far away. Uh, and, and there are times where I fail her, but it gives us a picture of what it looks like for God, this, this holy God to care for us, to walk along with the Egyptians and then to say to them, you can, I'm the only God that you are to love. Uh, my love for my niece and your love for <clears throat> your grandchild or cousin or whomever uh, is, is something that actually leads us to a picture of who God is. God's love for us goes beyond what we can experience, even in those beautiful familial relationships. I love how Psalm 139 encourages us to see this. It says, for you created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Your eyes saw my unformed body. What the psalmist is telling us here is that you knew me and, and even the parts of me that had no utility, that had no ability to, to breathe on my own. And because of that, I praise you and I worship you. And so in this amazingly intimate relationship, we can worship the God who cares for us and continues to walk with us, even in troubling and difficult times. We can love him deeply. Our love for God can be honest. And even though we struggle to, to perform and to do this perfectly, we know that it's rooted in something deeper than just some belief that we have, that it's rooted in God's own love and his relationship for us. So that's the first point. The second one is that it gives us incredible freedom. I love what, uh, what, what Deuteronomy 6 uh, verses four through nine guides us in this freedom with the Lord. These, these words are essentially equivalent to the Lord's prayer for the Jewish people and really for us too, for God's people. There's such a, a great companion for the 10 commandments. And they were, given to do, they, they were given to God's people right after they heard the 10 commandments a second time, right? Deuteronomy five is the second giving of the law. And then in Deuteronomy six, we hear these words where God says, Hear, O Israel, our Lord, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Shema, which is what this section of scripture is called, is such a great section to know and to love and, and to really make part of uh, who you are as a, as a Christian person, because it gives us a depth of this freedom that God, that, that God shows us. Uh, it shows us the depth that we have if we serve God so, so, solely as the one God that we love and that we serve, that we experience the Lord's love. You have one thing to teach your children, and that is the Lord's love. 
You have one thing to bind on your hands, to make a slave to you, that, and the frontlets between your eyes, and that is the Lord's love and who the Lord is. One thing to put on the doorposts of your house and your gates. You get it. It's the Lord and who, and who he is. And today in many Jewish homes, there are small scrolls of the Shema as you enter their house. And a lot of people um, traditionally will walk out of their house or walk in their house and touch those scrolls to remember those words. There's a freedom in knowing that we have a confession to follow and that is in scripture. Um, There's a depth in which we can explore this one confession of this one Lord. I love this picture. The... um, Anthony Bradley is a professor at the King's College, and he was at Covenant Seminary where Sarah and I attended for a couple of years. And just thinking about the number of kids that leave the faith once they go to college, something like 85% is a statistic that I often hear. Um, He's baffled by that idea, uh, in part because even though a lot of kids leave the faith, there's one thing that they don't leave, especially in the South, And it is their college football team. You don't see a kid who once was an Auburn fan, like I've grown up being, suddenly switch to being an Alabama fan just because they feel like it. They keep being an Auburn fan and keep loving Auburn. They they remember the t-shirts that they wore as a kid. They remember the games they went to. They remember the, the awesome games they participated in with their family. So there's kind of this family culture uh, that, that is actually beautiful and is amazingly freeing to know I have one team to cheer for. I have one color that I, that I don and that's the team that, I'm, that we as a family are going to be for. But oftentimes we don't see it in the church. We don't see the church as our community, as the place where, where, where we find hope even, where we devote a day to. Uh, and so it, it's a great encouragement for us to see our Christian faith and to see the church as the place that we come to, the sanctuary that we go to. I've even heard of it being said, and this was an old Nike commercial, that the sanctuaries in America are not the, the tall steeples, right? We're meeting in a, in a gym right now, but they are our stadiums. They're the places where we go to really worship, And I think that that is something that we need to majorly reflect on as God's people who can often be drawn even to good things like sports. And they they have this incredible history with them, but also in in a a like way to, to be drawn to the Lord and to encourage our friends and our family and the, the people that we care for, that we, that we care actually less about Auburn football in my, in, in my circumstance that we do about the church, that we do about Jesus, that we do about this one true God who gave us these beautiful words uh, that, we can, that we can remember. As a campus minister, I often talk with a lot of students like this who are wanting potentially to leave the church, who are struggling with what it means to be a Christian, because they feel like there are so many other things at play. And oftentimes, especially for kids who have been baptized, I I can encourage them to remember who they are. Remember that you are one who was baptized at like 
in a, in a Christian family, that you have made faithful declarations. Um, and oftentimes it's the, this idea of them being uh, involved or encouraged by people who have very different worldviews and very different beliefs and thinking this is a very nice person or they're very intelligent. I just don't understand why, why you have to be a Christian. But I think as the church, as people of faith, we have to remind people of who they are and of whose they are. And guys, that gives us incredible freedom to know Jesus in deeper and deeper ways. Um, and I think that one of the things that I could, I could tell you to do is to just go study the Bible. Do more, right? Be a better Christian today. Go and devote the rest of your day to learning the Bible um, so, that, so that you'll be this really strong Christian, but that's a fool's errand. And oftentimes, especially for many of the college students that I sit with and talk to, it just sounds like another thing that they have to be on, uh, an, an, another task for them to do, another piece of homework. And so our goal is not, in having freedom in the Lord is not knowing more than ever, anyone else, but is walking with the Lord, is having a relationship with the Lord, walking in assurance of his faith, um, even, even doing so in silence and not knowing what to say, but knowing that you are committing yourself to the Lord. Um, so I would just encourage a daily, t- of, of daily taking time to be with the Lord. This is something that many of our students uh, really struggle with in part because they've been told to busy themselves. They've been told to do good things, but to, to not be idle because that is where the devil can get in and can, be, uh, can, can really do um, harmful things. But simply to sit with the Lord. One of the things that we did this year is to, is to buy our students this devotional um, called Seeing God's Face, Seeking God's Face, excuse me. And it, it walks you through a daily devotional where you hear the word of God, where you see these written prayers, where you see even a blessing on yourself and it gives great encouragement uh, to walk through. But even that may not work. There is no silver bullet. We simply need to, to walk with the Lord and, and to, to be freed of this, this idea of having to, to find that one simple thing. So we need freedom, right? We talked about uh, being rooted in relationship, that God actually goes before us and cares for us. But this, this is incomplete if we don't talk about Jesus because we need Jesus and we need him badly. Uh, the relationship in the Lord um, is beautiful and is made more beautiful by knowing Jesus. We actually experience a fullness of a relationship. We experience a real freedom in Jesus. We fail to reciprocate this relationship with God fully and finally. We often do run after competing gods. We run after money or power. We run after things that, that might give us satisfaction in the here and now. Sarah and I have even been talking about how we feel just so, like, so blessed by being in our neighborhood and making a really great investment on our home. But that can also be something that is idolatrous 
that we can put our hope and our trust in, and ultimately it will fail us. And so we need to remember that this commandment was given for us, but that it was fully fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus did fully have one God that he followed, that he went to the cross and that he gave his life for us and he died so that we might live, so that we might have relationship when this, with this God, even though we break this commandment. We need the truth and the depth of the relationship to go before us. I love the way that Paul encapsulates this in Ephesians chapter four, verses one through seven, right after he gave us some great theology, some beautiful understanding of who God is. He says this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Again, talking about that language of walking with God, of having a relationship with him, walking in that relationship with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is, the, this is the gospel encapsulated. This is what Jesus went to the cross for, was to actually bring us together, to define that relationship, to put you and I together in this unified relationship. And so in, in conclusion, God defines this relationship for us and he does everything. He doesn't wait on our answer to figure out if we're compatible He says, I'm gonna go ahead of you. I'm gonna do everything in order to define this relationship. And God does this for our good. He desires to keep us from following after other things and that will not give us the depth of relationships that will actually fail us. He does so in order to keep us free from confusing and striving endlessly. And he does so because his own son, went to the cross on our behalf. This is the God that we serve and that we love. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for this commandment that you have given us. I pray that you encourage us of um, our frailty, but also of who you are as, um, as a good God who has gone ahead of us. We thank you for this time um, I pray that you um, sharpen us this morning and all, and all this. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.